Oh my goodness, welcome to Rockbridge. Let's go to chainsaw training. Uh, that's amazing. Hey, if you're watching online, in the chat, in the comments, would you type in your favorite power tool? Vacuum cleaners count, but throw it in the chat. Hey, we wanna welcome you, all six of our physical locations, and also if you're tuning in digitally on your device somewhere, I think our digital ministry team told me we had someone from Alaska watching, so I wanna shout out to Alaska. I think you get the prize for the farthest away. Uh, even farther than our friends uh, in Ecuador. But hey, we're so glad that you're here. However you're joining with us, the Word of God is not bound. You are not listening. You're not watching. You're not here by accident. God has something for you. I want to ask you to believe that. Even if you're in confusion or chaos or pain, I want us to believe that because what we're talking about as an overflow of Easter is this notion of a promise-driven life. Uh, that, that our lives are fueled by promises. And, and that's for better or for worse. We talked about that a little bit last week, that you know, advertisers give you promises, salespeople give you promises, your flesh, your biology gives you promises, your friends, your relationships gives you promises, the world, money, power, the hope of pleasure, vacations, all of that, paychecks and careers, all of those things give us promises. And so as we get deeper into this new series that we're in, we want to talk about a certain kind of promise that God has for us. And these are promises that are greater than the pressure you're in today, greater than the pain you're experiencing, greater than your problems, greater than the power of sin, and greater than and better than the power of the world. That's why we want to be expected today. That's why we want to be hopeful today, because you walked in here and you're pursuing a promise. It could be for better or for worse. And I'm praying for us that as we walk out of here today and over the next several weeks, that we would learn to be people who pursue the God of the promise, the God who makes promises, the God who keeps promises. There is no better way to live, and it is the only way to die. And we get to talk about it. So welcome to Rockbridge. You're not here by accident. Now, all these promises, here's what's beautiful about them. They are born and given to us. They're blood-bought. They didn't come cheap. They came through the blood of Jesus. And then the power comes through his resurrection. Let's look at a couple of verses. Every one of God's promises is yes in him. Depends how you count them. But there's somewhere between two and 5,000 promises in the Bible. When you learn to read the Bible by looking for God's promises, you become a treasure hunter. And the Bible becomes such an incredible resource, an incredible blessing as it changes how you read, changes how you pray, changes how you look at your life, changes how you go throughout your day. Because every one of God's promises, they're yes in Christ. Therefore, through him, we also say amen, which means so be it, to the glory of God. I want to share this, this, this verse in a more of a paraphrased translation just to give you what our goals are here. Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. So that means God has already said yes to us, right? In him, this is what we preach and pray, the great amen, God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. So, so here, here's what Matt Evans is praying for the people of Rockbridge, for those of you that are checking us out, checking Jesus out, checking the word of God out, been away from church. This is what I'm praying for you, okay? God has already said yes to you. In thousands of ways, all blood-bought in his son Jesus, the yes of Jesus. 
My prayer is that through this series, and we're going to talk about several specific promises, my prayer is that you would take your yes and marry it, match it to God's yes, and it will change your life, your outlook, your direction, your path, and your hope, and your future. That's what we're praying for, and so we're fired up, and we're excited, and we're going to go big today, because today we're going to talk about what do you do when you bump up against this word? What do you do when you bump up against the word impossible? Where when you look at something, you perceive something, you look out, what you see is burden, barrier, obstacle. What you see is can't, won't, will never. That's what you see. That's what you feel. You may feel it in the fact of a relationship that seems irreconcilable, a problem at work that seems unresolvable. You may look at yourself and feel like, man, I, it is impossible for me to overcome this habit, this hurt, this hangup. However you're experiencing it, we are all going to bump up against this word. And then the question for us that, that comes to us today is, what do we do with that? Does God have something for that? Because it's easy. Listen, listen. Uh, we, we live in the land of possibilities. We live in the land where, you know, hey, we, we, can, um, we feel like we can solve anything. And so it's easy to domesticate God and to put God over here in the corner and say, hey, if I bump into an impossible and we can't fix it and we can't solve it, then we just move on from it. And so we're going to stop that. We're going to get a big view of God because God is the God of the possible. So let's look and see where he gives us a promise specifically for dealing with approaching the impossible. If you have a Bible, welcome to turn them on. Welcome to open them up. We'll be in Matthew's gospel chapter 17. Let me give you a little bit of, um, of background and context. So Jesus has gone up onto a mountain with three of his closest disciples and goes through an experience that's called the transfiguration. It's one of the major instances where God the Father uh, validates, verifies, speaks the identity of his son and, and does so in a very powerful and potent way. While these three disciples and Jesus are up on the mountain down in, down in the valley, so to speak. The, his other disciples are confronted with a father who wants to have his son healed from uh, a demon possession and all the symptoms and all the problems of that. And, and the disciples that are apart from Jesus that are not on the mountain, they can't throw this demon out. They can't deal with it. It's, it's an impossible situation. And so that's where we bump into our story. So when they reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt down before him. So they are the disciples plus Jesus that were up on the mountain. They come down, the crowd reaches them, a man approached and says, Lord, have mercy on my son. Mercy is an attribute of God that inclines him to be compassionate on people like you and me. He says, because he has seizures and suffers terribly, he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not, there's our word, they could not heal him. They could not do anything about this. It was impossible. It was impossible. So let's just unpack that word for just a little bit, okay? 
And, and here's the challenge, though. Here's the challenge in the story that you don't get it if you just read this part. Back in Luke chapter 10, these same disciples had been confronted with a similar ministry opportunity or kingdom seeking, like we like to say at Rockbridge, we are kingdom seekers, a, a similar kingdom seeking opp- opportunity, and they had been effective at it. They'd been able to deal with a situation like this uh, a few days or a few series of events bef- previous and prior to this one. So now it's impossible. So we're not sure what to make of that. But, but here's the facts that we need to lay out. And there's some good news, bad news in these facts, but the bad news is really good news. So let me explain. All right, here we go. God really does give us more than we can handle. God really does give us more than we can handle. And I don't, we, don't, we don't like to say that and admit that because we are raised as red-blooded Americans that we're supposed to be able to handle everything. No, you're not. Okay, and God really does give you more than you can handle. Go read the Old Testament where Gideon's asked to go fight tens of thousands of of warriors and he gets 300 guys to do it. Okay, go uh, Moses who's pinned up. He's got the whole nation of Israel pinned up between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. Impossible. God gives you more than you can handle. Promise you all the time he gives you more than you can handle. So whoever told you that they lied to you. Okay, now. When we hear that, that's kind of bad news. But the good news of that is this. In allowing us to face the impossible or in allowing us to have more than we can handle, God is actually offering us, and we'll show how he does this, he's opening up to us a life that is bigger and greater than we can have on our own. If you and I never faced impossible, we would never get to God's better and God's greater. Never. And so God really does give you more than you can handle. And so the road to better and greater takes us through the impossible. It is a fact of life. The question is, do you go through it with God through his promises or do you try to go through it on your own? And we'll talk about what happens when you do it, when you do it that way. So it sort, of looks, it sort of looks like this. I'll show you a graph. It's from a book that a guy wrote called uh, Don't Quit in the Dip. But Let's just look at this, right? So we start something, right? And, and when we're here and, and everything's going right, we can see where we want to go, right? We can see, you know, the plans that we have for our life or the plans that God has for us. This verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, a lot of us like to talk about. And then we hit a dip and all we can see is this, right? We lose sight of where things are going. We lose sight of, of maybe what God's best is or where God wants to take our marriage or God wants to take our walk with him. And so the disciples, right, you know, back here, they'd had some success. We talked about that. They're faced with this this boy that's suffering horribly at the hands of a demon. Jesus is up on the mountain and they get stuck in the dip. The dip is where you feel like, man, the hopes and the dreams and the prayers that are inside of me do not match the reality in front of me. And, And then the word we would use for that is it feels, it seems impossible. You may not say impossible. You might say down here, you might say stuck. Down here, you might say, can't or won't or never. Uh, Down here, you might say, hopeless. Down here, you might say, I just don't think it's going to get any better than this. However you describe it, you're in the dip. And here's the question that we want to lay on our souls, our lives, our past today. The question is, what do I do in the dip and what do I do with the dip? Because I promise 
God does not spare you from the dip. This is where you're like, man, this is more than I can handle. This is more than I can do. So the question is, what do I do? What do we do in and with the dip that is absolutely inevitable and it's coming and it's coming? So here's what we can tend, here's what we are tempted to do in the dip. Settle. Settle. You know, I know God's got this vision of marriage that's up here and uh, unconditional love, and dip, but, but dip, I'm going to settle down here. I know God's view of the family, and I'm going to settle down here. I know God, you know, somebody says, hey, God's prepared greater things and promised greater things, but I'm in the dip. I'm going to settle. I'm going to compromise. I'm going to plateau. This is where Christians say, man, I just stopped growing. This, this is where, you know, we just say, hey, man, I got busy. I got distracted. I got discouraged. I mean, that's what we say. So that's our temptation. And then whether we label it this or not, we essentially just say, you know what? Getting to here is impossible. And there's a power you give to the dip when you label the dip impossible. There's a power there because suddenly what have you, when you say the word impossible, you have suddenly interjected hopelessness and you've suddenly quenched motivation for your life in the dip that you're experiencing. This is when you're in the dip and you label something impossible, then you risk settling for what God makes possible, right? So that's why we just, so if you've ever used the word, if you are using the word impossible, I want us to quit using it right now, okay? Just hold that. Well, you're like, man, I don't have any other word to describe what I'm dealing with or what I've gone through. That's okay. Hold on, hold that, right? But just, let's just get rid of the word impossible for just a second, okay? I don't want us to settle. In, in fact, right before I came up here, I, I was like, I was singing and I was praying and I, and I wrote this down. I was like, listen, this is what I'm praying for. I don't want anybody to settle for possible. I want us to go for what God's promised. Because if it's possible, impossible, eventually you hit the dip and you label it, you're stuck, you're, it'll never, I can't, it's bad, it's hopeless, it's impossible. We don't want to stop there. We want to go for what God has promised. That's the theme of the whole series. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're dealing with. So what do I do in the dip? All right, so Jesus, because he doesn't give up on us, and like I said last week, Jesus wants more for you than, I, than you want for you. Jesus wants more for me than I want for me. That's how big his love is and how amazing his thoughts are and his plans are. The Bible says over and over and over, we can't even imagine what he's got for those who love us. So why would we ever stop, stuck, label a dip as impossible? So he comes and here's his response. He replied, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Jesus is a little salty right now, right? And, you know, so, sometimes we're like, maybe, you know, we just want to talk and coddle each other. And like, it's okay. Jesus is like, it ain't okay. It's not okay to stay in a dip. It's not okay to say, call anything impossible. If it's a kingdom work, a kingdom endeavor, which is defeating Satan certainly is, certainly Satan in a little boy certainly is. Jesus is like, you unbelieving we got a faith issue, perverse generation. How long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? He's exasperated. He says, bring him here to me. Bring him here to me. And then Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And from that moment on, the boy was healed. Now, I got to give the disciples credit because 
I, I think their response, even though they had a faith problem, their response is hopeful and amazing. And, and I hope we as disciples, because disciple means learning. Disciple means student. There's never a day we suddenly arrive, graduate, hey, man, you're a fully mature Christian. Never happens. We're always learning. We're always unlearning so we can be more like Christ and live more on the possible, what God makes possible, what God promises. And so they, they approach Jesus privately and they say, hey, we, we got to press into this. Why couldn't we drive it out? And, and now, listen, that, that, that's a great question. That, that's like, wh- why can't this be dealt with? And, and listen, I, I want to say this to, to, to all of us. I want to say it to Rockbridge. I want to say it to some of our families. I want to say it to some of our, our mentalities. I want to say it to some of the things that maybe you're dealing with. S- sometimes you got to look at your status quo, and you got to say, listen, why is this my status quo? I think when I read the Word of God... He's made more possible than I'm experiencing. He's promised more than I've yet to receive. And and this is a time to get with Jesus privately. Maybe with your small group, maybe with your D group, maybe with a couple other brothers and sisters and say, hey, let's figure out this. Why is my marriage stuck in the dip? Why have more people not been baptized or saved through our church? Why have more of my prayers not been answered if they're in line with the kingdom, in line with the word of God? And and listen, I I think that's a better response than, oh, well, promise-driven, promise-driven, okay? Promise-driven. And then Jesus says, here's the problem, because of your little faith, he told them. Your faith is defective. Your faith is defective. Something's malfunctioning. Something's off with your faith. And and so Jesus is is sort of teaching us some things about faith. Here's a couple of things that stood out to me when I was going through this passage. Faith is not merely mental belief or assent or believing in Jesus. Faith is not saying, hey, God exists. Jesus exists. Easter happened amen, I'll see you next week, and then going out and living the limits of your possible and the dips of your impossible. Faith is actually meant to be effective, and when I say effective, I mean faith is supposed to produce supernatural, I can't explain it fruit. Faith is supposed to produce that. And and listen, I'm not just talking about we're supposed to have power over demons. That's true. Uh, And that may weird some of you out. I'm talking about, hey, I don't know why I have the patience I have. Because I used to be. I don't know how I am able to forgive this person for what they did to me. Because it used to be. And I can't explain that apart from it being a work of faith. So I'm not just talking about changes in our circumstances, changes in the spiritual temperature. I'm talking about where our character goes from being fleshly, prideful, sinful, fearful, insecure, to more like Jesus and more like his followers who got out and walked on water. 
That's what we're, so, so just understand that faith is supposed to be effective. It's supposed to be fruitful. But the good thing about disciples of Jesus, true disciples of Jesus, they refuse to settle. They refuse to be satisfied with the status quo. Disciples are looking at the word of God, understanding what the kingdom of God is like, looking at the word of God, seeing what God has promised. And they're like, hey, if I'm not experiencing this, Jesus, can you tell me why? And I'm going to figure that out, pray that out, work that out, get godly counsel. And we're going to work on that together. That's the whole point we said as a church of 2021, right? We don't want a year of what we can do. We want a year of what he can do. Refusing to settle. Don't be satisfied with the status quo. Don't get stuck in the dip. And so here's what we need to say. Failure and futility and the disciples in the dip are feeling failed and they're feeling like things are futile. They're not to ever be accepted as final, but rather as opportunities for faith. Remember, the the way we get to the greater and the better life God has for us goes through a path that we might be tempted to call impossible. Goes through the dip that we're tempted to label as stuck. Goes through the region that we're tempted to label as can't, never, won't. Okay? Now, when we're faced with that, a dip, impossible, there's some options, right? There's some options that we get to choose because faith is a muscle that we get to exercise. I I tell people this all the time, whether I'm talking to an atheist, an agnostic, or a fully devoted Christ follower, or some rich person that's trusting their money, everybody's everybody's got faith. Everybody walks by faith. It's the object of your faith that's different. Okay, Uh, some people have faith in themselves. Man, I can do it. I can figure it out. If it's to be, it's up to me. Some people have faith in their title, their position, and they they answer problems like, do you know who I am, right? And there's people like that. And, and, And so we've all got faith. So if our faith is not the faith that Jesus is trying to create and produce and nurture and feed, then here's some options. Option number one is I live within the limits of natural, possible, and explainable. I live within the limits of natural, possible, and explainable. This is the vast majority of people in the world. I live within the limits of naturalism, human possibility, what I can explain with my mind or with modern science or whatever label you want to have, that's where I live. That's that's where I live. And when the dip is deeper and bigger than these things, natural, possible, explainable, I'm stuck in the dip. That's where I have to live, okay? That's a way to live. That's an option. Option two, I trust God until I see the impossible and I feel the frustrations. I trust God until. So when life is here and I've got a clear shot at the horizon, man, I trust God. But when I hit the dip, when I hit the impossible, Oh, little faith, right? That's what Jesus said. You got little faith. You went, in the, you went in here to the dip of the impossible, the dip of the stuck, the dip of the can't, and, and suddenly your faith became minuscule or, or, or malfunctioning or ineffective, right? So I trust God until I get there, <coughs> excuse me, into the dip. And, it, and it's here in the dip that I'm tempted to trust my perception over God's promises. It's here in the dip that I'm tempted to give more weight to my promise, my problems, which feel impossible than God's promises. 
And this is when we have to remember Jesus' words in Matthew 9, 29, where he said, it shall be done to you according to your faith. It shall be done to you according to your faith. So if your faith falters in the dip, it propagates and prolongs the dip. It shall be done to you according to your faith. So faith determines what God can do in your life. Faith, I heard it said this way. Faith is the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, author of inexplicable supernatural. Faith is the Holy Spirit's cue or signal to go into action. Faith is the Holy Spirit's cue or signal to go into action. So faith determines what God can do in your life. And let's be clear what God wants to do in our lives. This is John 15, excuse me, that's incorrect. John 15, 7 and 8. It's a Phillips translation. If you live your life in me, Jesus says, and my words live in your heart, you can ask for whatever you like and it will come true for you. So Jesus' life in us, his words in our heart, his words, his life, and manifest in how we pray, it will come true for you. And this is how my Father will be glorified in your becoming fruitful. And when he says fruitful, he's talking about kingdom fruit, supernatural fruit. This is not fruit of, hey, cancer go away, right, necessarily. This is the fruit of character, the fruit of life change, the fruit of how we live, the fruit of people becoming Christ followers through our testimony and being my disciples. So disciples learn how to bear supernatural, inexplicable, apart from God, this is impossible fruit, okay? So this is the life we're supposed to pursue as students of Jesus. So Jesus with his, goes back to his disciples and Jesus keeps teaching them. And now he's gonna describe effective faith. Remember, faith is supposed to be effective. So here's what he says. He says, truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and really, this is kind of a bad translation. The original Greek says, if you have faith like a mustard seed or as a mustard seed. And a mustard, so I'm not sure he's really talking about the amount of faith as he's talking about the nature of faith. Mustard seed's a small seed that produces this massive, expansive tree. And in, back in Matthew 13, he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. So I think he's talking about a faith that doesn't get stuck or stall out in the dip, but a faith that sustains in the dip and a faith that doesn't lose the horizon of what's possible through God in the dip. It's going to grow. It's going to be harvestable. It's going to be effective. It's going to produce fruit as it persists in the direction of God's promises. So he says, if you have faith like a or as a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, and this is a Jewish first century uh, metaphor or phrase or idiomatic expression that says, move from here to there and it will move. He's not saying you're going to move a mountain, but he's basically saying nothing will be impossible for you. When you face an impossible, God is going to do something that was previous. God is going to do something through that impossible. God is going to do a kingdom work through that impossible. Something possible becomes possible in the impossible. That's the tongue twister, right? But remember, the better life, the bigger life, the greater life goes through the valley of the dip of the impossible. It's God's way. He puts more on you that you can handle so you can get to his best, his greater, his better. So when you read this, nothing will be impossible for you. That's the promise this week. That's our weekly promise. Nothing will be impossible for you. If what? You have faith as a mustard seed, small but potent. 
small but persistent, small but expansive. So when it hits the dip, it doesn't get stuck. It keeps growing, nurturing. It keeps pursuing what God has made possible or what God has promised. Remember, don't settle for what's possible for you. Go for what God has promised to you. So here's my question. What should the disciples have been doing? So Jesus is up on the mountain. They're down there dealing with this this ministry opportunity, this kingdom opportunity. We're kingdom seekers, Rock Bridgers, right? That's what they're dealing with. And apparently they hit the dip and they stop. What should they have been doing? They settled. They plateaued. They got stalled out. They got stuck. It's not what a mustard seed does. You plant it, you wait, nothing happens. You wait, nothing happens, right? It's like farming. You sow, you reap, you sow, you reap, right? But eventually, boom, this thing grows into this massive tree that can house birds. Small seed, big fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. So what should they have been doing? What should they have been doing? We go way back. Old theologian William Grunthal said this, the Spirit of God will come with spiritual light and spiritual life when you have been diligent in meditating on the promise. So the word I would highlight is diligent. When I, when I think, man, what should the disciples have been doing? I think, they, I think, I think a, better, a better activity than this or stuck or settled would have been worshiping, praying, fasting, pleading, persisting, asking, seeking, and knocking, and doing so until spiritual light and life came. Doing so until the situation changed, or they changed, or God redirected. See, I think, we alluded to this last week if you were here, we are over and over and over and over again being trained to be passive in our lives. Que sera, sera, right? You know, just take it. It's okay. Settle. Where Christ, through his promises, is saying, no, no, no. You keep pursuing. You keep going. Even when you can't see it, God's working. Even when you can't see the mustard seed growing, trust it. It's, this faith will produce fruit. So they should have been begging and pleading and pursuing the God of the promise. So third option, third option. Third option, when we take God at his word, when we go for not what's possible, impossible based on our perceptions, but when we go for what God has promised. Here's the third option. First, I see based on what God has said. That's a key thing. That's a key thing. I see based on what God has said. I'm in the dip I'm in a dip in my marriage. I'm in a dip in my understanding. I'm in a dip, whatever. I am going to see based on what God has said. And God has said a lot of things that are promised, that are yes in Christ. And I want to marry his yes to my yes. Okay? So I see based on what God has said. I don't see based on the dip I'm in. And so let me unpack that a little bit more. I state what God has said. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. I I think it's very, very important for us to speak, a.k.a. to memorize the word of God. 
in spe- specifically the promises that we're trusting, that we're banking on, that, we're, that are setting the horizon of our life, of our existence. I think we ought to have a loaded gun of promises stored in our mind. If you don't think you can memorize, start writing them down. paste them everywhere, make them your lock screen. But there's something, and I can't always explain this. I don't know what it is. Uh, It's something, you know, us naming, us speaking, uh, us memorizing, uh, keeping things in our mind. It's just like pulling the shield of faith up and creating a path of faith forward. There's something powerful about us stating the promises of God that are set in the horizons of our life. And then we pray what God has said. Over and over and over and over, God, what I'm seeing, and I, and, I, and we, we we need your I need help seeing God, but what I see in your in your word is this dip does not have the final say. God, I, what I see in your word is this feels impossible, but I'm going to go with what you've said and nothing is impossible with you. So God, I'm praying and I'm going to pray, God, until the situation changes, I change and then I can change the situation or you redirect me, God, but I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to do what the disciples should have been doing, right? In the dip that they experienced. So I see based on what God has said, I state what God has said, and over and over and over and over again, I pray what God has said. So I'll give you one, I'll give us one real life example of this from the Old Testament, when God made a promise that this old guy named Abraham, right, would have a baby through his one wife, through his first wife, true wife, Sarah, right? Listen to how the New Testament describes the story. You can go read the story, Genesis 15 through 18. It says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. So biologically, Abraham and Sarah are in the dip. Biologically, they cannot see what the, any way out of the dip, but they go not with what they see. They go with what God has said. So he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith. So his faith is mustard seed faith. Even when I can't see it, I trust that it's working, right? And gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. And then go back to Genesis, and here's the way Genesis frames this up. And this is where I get that point that God's better and greater for you and for me, for Rockbridge, through Rockbridge, goes through the dip of the impossible. Here's where I get that. Genesis 18, 14. Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. The only way to know that nothing is impossible for the Lord is to go through the dip of the impossible. So I want us to prepare to close in prayer. And to do that, I want us to be as specific as we can. Name your dip. Name your dip. Where it feels stuck or impossible. In the dip, do not go with. Do not lean on. Do not bank on. Do not go home and say, well, I just feel like. Don't. Don't ever say that again. (laughs) Say it once and get over it, right? Don't go with perceptions. Don't go with experiences. We're not going to go with that. What God has said in this dip, name it, 
Don't go with feeling, perception, or experiences. And then in the dip, we want mustard seed faith, growing faith. Even when we can't see something, God has said it, so, we're, so something's working. So make sure in the dip that faith is a verb. See, a lot of times we talk about faith as a noun. Well, I had faith and I lost faith. Faith's a verb. It's trusting. It's obeying. It's praying. It's walking in the direction of the horizon of God's promises. So don't stop at possible, impossible based on yours and my perception. Go for and pursue what God has promised. And then the best is always yet to come. As we close, let me say this, okay? It's impossible. It's impossible for any of us to have eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. Maybe today some of us need to take God's yes to us on the cross. He died for us instead of us and give him our yes and go from death to life, become adopted into the family of God, become part of the kingdom of God. Your next step would be to get baptized. Wherever we're at today on the journey, may our horizon be set by the promises of God and that nothing, nothing is impossible for him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for everybody in here. God, wherever we are on our journey, this journey called life, I pray today we're looking at you in a different light. I pray we're looking at our path in a different light. I pray, God, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, the authority of his word, the word impossible is covered up by a promise from you. And God, may we be a people who walk forward from today with faith, faith a verb, believing in you, trusting in you, and that the best is yet to come. God, may we take your thousands and thousands of yeses that are yes to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and may we match at least one of those promises with a yes right now. Thank you, God, for saying yes to us. Help us, God, through this series to say yes to you and all that you have for us in your son, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray, amen.